And now for something completely Christmassy. Welcome to Shoutout. Down your chimney and into your stocking. Hello and welcome to Shoutout. I'm Ali Shilton. And I'm Steffi Barnett. This week's show, we're looking back at some of the best bits of the year. And what a year it's been. Plus, uh, news and chat and all things shout out, right here for the next hour. Evening. We're still very Christmassy, aren't we? Mm. Well, I thought, you know, I mean, we, we don't always do this show in the middle, depending on what day it falls. Well, it, well for us, it's always a Thursday, but I mean, depending on what day of the month it falls on. Um, yeah. you know, sometimes this, the station's um, closed, isn't it? This is Twixtmas, isn't it? Twixmas. Is that what they had today? It's still Christmas, isn't it? Ookie Pootie-mas, from, from what you said earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so we should explain. I'm the only one in the studio at the moment. Everybody else is remoting in because they're all isolating. Um, oh. But uh, <laughs> we've we, we got Terry and Andy and Steph and uh, Ez um, uh, all remoted in. Hello, everyone. I hope you had a lovely Christmas. Yeah, we did. It was it was yeah, lovely. I've nice. still I've still got tinsel around my head. Um, I don't know if that's appropriate <laughs> or not, but it's been there since Christmas Day, um, and it isn't affecting my sleeping. So um, you know, carrying around mistletoe looks a bit odd, but it's it's absolutely fine. Christmas is here until New Year's Day. As far as I'm concerned, that doesn't mean to say you don't need to shower for twelve days. <laughs> well, no. I, I don't so. know if that should be shared, but uh, continue. <laughs> Some of us aren't quite isolating. We're just we're just trying to uh, avoid getting COVID. Of well, course, yeah, so indeed. Hiding it's times from we it. live in. Yeah. Times yes. we live in. But it so. is nice to be at, it's nice to be at home actually and snuggled with my feet up on the radiator. Oh, it's a radiator these days, is it? I thought there was usually someone underneath the desk with you. Some famous celebrity of some sort. It's normally In my deranged imagination. Yes. Or Harry Potter, he might be under there. He's used, you know, he's used to his cupboard under the stairs. He might be quite happy. So, now, um, Terry, I think you've got a little bit of a kind of like, um, look back at some of the best bits of this year for us in this bit. I mean, well, I, I've got a little review of some of the news stories that made LGBTQ headlines, that's true. But just before I start, I think we, we could acknowledge that we lost two great uh, allies of uh, our whole community over the Christmas period. Archbishop Desmond Tutu yes. uh, passed on. He was always a very strong advocate for the rights of LGBTQ Christians and their contribution to the church, as well, of course, as being known internationally as a campaigner against racism. And, and for plain speaking, he said that Ronald Reagan was a racist, plain and simple. I mean, he didn't mince his words. So he's a great ally that's obviously passed on and is mm. currently... Uh, um, his body is in state uh, in uh, Johannesburg, I believe. Um, now, also, uh, April Ashley. Oh, yes. yes one of I the saw first that. People, yeah, one of the first people to uh, have gender reassignment surgery. Uh, she had that in Casablanca in about 1960. Uh, she passed on at the age of, I think it was 86. It was uh, 86, Terry. 
there we are see my my mind's still functional even though my body's not (laughs) (laughs) so yeah and i've linked with lots and lots of people so we've lost two great allies in the community let's go back to the start of the year Mm, Uh, in january uh, president joe biden enacted several reforms overturning the anti-gay policies of his pre Predecessor in the White House, oh, gosh, uh, and I've a Trump that. era ban. Yeah, a Trump era ban on transgender people in the military was overturned at the end of the month. So we've had one year of the Biden presidency now, and wow. uh, it's a much more friendly presidency, I have to say, for our community. And mm, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it's incredible, Terry, isn't it, that for once we don't have to worry every single day about what may be tweeted by our president. Oh, sorry, well, the American president, president not yeah. our president. Yeah, Let's clear that yeah. up. <laughs> incredible, yes. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, uh, although I personally suspect that we haven't seen the last of Trump, and I think he will go again for the presidency mm. in 2024. That's my prediction. Yeah, I'll be uh, with you on that, Terry. Mm-hmm. I have a dreadful feeling. <laughs> let's, let's stick to a little bit of good news yeah. anyway. Good news from Africa in February as the state of Angola implements a new criminal c- code. Homosexuality is not only legalised, but there are now also anti-discrimination provisions on the basis of gender identity and sexual orientation. Oh, so that's amazing. great. Uh, Angola ahead of the field. Um, the struggle against conversion therapy continued during 2021. And of course, uh, the... UK government's consultation remains open yep. until the beginning of February. I still I can't um, believe it's dragging so long over here too. They are dragging their heels. In June, the Madras Court in India passed a law outlawing outlawing its practice. France followed suit at the end of the year, and one of the most comprehensive reforms was passed in Canada, where advertising conversion therapies at adults and especially children is now a criminal offence. Amazing. Good old Canadians. Um, <laughs> they do do it really well. Over they, they do. We like the Canadians. Yeah, it's rather incredible, really, because um, when I've discussed this, discussed this with people, they have absolutely mm. no idea that this is going on in the UK. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. No, because I've had that why same would it? Yeah. <laughs> in 2021. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know that as late as 1984. Uh, there was a survey of young gay people and as, as late as then the NHS was still offering conversion therapies oh, I mean wow. that's that's not the case now obviously the NHS wouldn't do such a thing now no. but it did happen it did happen um, so we'll take time for one more Terry if you okay yeah I will get uh, one of my uh favourite ones or a bit of uh, good news Uh, Hungary has been slipping towards right wing dictatorship Uh, municipalities in Poland have been declaring themselves to be LGBT free zones but the European Parliament has come to the defence of the community saying that the 27 states of the EU are a free space for LGBTQIA people money talks and at least one municipality voted in Poland to overturn its homophobic policies when it realised how much aid money it stood to lose Mm. so you know Thanks to the EU Works. there. Yeah. I think, yeah it's does. still kind of going on over there, though, isn't it? They're, they're still like, oh. you know, we want to run our country our way, not, you know. But it's you can't still. do that. If you're part of Europe, you have to adhere to the European rules well, as well. Sort of, sort of rules, yeah. Absolutely. There's a little bit of a review of what was going on during 2021. Mm. Yeah. It was a packed year. Cool. Well, we'll try and fit a few more in um, towards the end of the show, if you like, as well, mate. Um, but um, no uh, it's a very, very packed show, this. Um, so um, I'm going to carry straight on, so we've got time to talk at the end. Um, stay with us, you listen to Shout Out. Back in a minute. Shout Out. LGBT Radio for you. 
The Shout Out Podcast. Uh, a bit of old Shaking Stevens there. <laughs> Good Christmas yeah. tune. Yeah, I know. 1985. How was it? Yeah. Oh. Uh, good Merry Christmas, yeah. everyone. Uh, one of the few that hasn't like been redone by many people, I think. I think it's, it's quite it's a, so unique. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really liked her. I, I, I know it's a bit gay to say. <laughs> Kylie's got a new Christmas album out this year and uh, the husband's been playing it around the house. It's brilliant. I really like it. The husband's been playing it around yeah. the house. Are you yeah. sure? Uh, yeah. Are yeah. you sure? I know, yeah. It's yeah. not his tasty music. <laughs> uh, well, he's had it on repeat for days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got very Christmassy in the last couple of years. So. Right. Your Good. influence must be very nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, this show we're looking back at um, all of our best bits uh, from the uh, last year here on Shoutout. So have a listen to this. Peter Tatchell, hello. How are you? <laughs> Greetings and happy LGBT plus history month. What, what kind of got you into activism in the first place? Well, the earliest thing I can remember is when I was aged 11 in 1963, I heard about the bombing of a black church in Birmingham, Alabama, where four young girls about my own age were murdered by white racists. Oh, I can remember thinking at 11 years of age, just how shocking that was. How could anyone kill another human being, let alone four young girls in church on a Sunday morning? So that prompted my interest and support for the black civil rights movement. Hmm. But I didn't actually begin my activism until some years later in 1967 at the age of 15 when I was still at high school. A prisoner had escaped from jail and allegedly shot dead a prison warder during the escape. He was due to be hung. Now, I worked out at the age of 15 that based on the autopsy report that I read in the newspapers, which mapped out the trajectory of the bullet through the warder's body, that from where the jail escapee was standing when he fired the fatal shot and where the warder was standing when he received that fatal shot, it would have been impossible for the bullet to have had that trajectory through his body without doing an almost U-turn in midair. So that prompted me to join the protests against his execution on the basis that there was at least a reasonable doubt about his guilt. Sadly, he was hanged anyway. And in the end, that really shook me. It really, really shook me up. it, It prompted my lifelong scepticism of authority. I felt, how could we trust the government, the police, the judges, when this man was hung, even though there was some doubt about whether he could have fired that fatal shot. So it it led me to question Australia's involvement in the Vietnam War alongside America, because of course I was living in my hometown of Melbourne, Australia at the time. It also prompted me to start campaigning for the rights of Indigenous Aboriginal people. And then when I was 17, uh, when I heard about the uh, protest after the Stonewall riots in New York in late 1969, at the age of 17, I began working all alone to champion LGBT plus rights. Uh, back then, I say alone 
because there were no LGBT plus organizations in Melbourne, not even any helplines or counseling services. Uh, I tried to interest uh, the few gay friends that I knew, but they were interested, they were too afraid because homosexuality was still a serious criminal offense at the time. So I just did my own thing, writing letters mostly to newspapers, um, criticizing homophobic laws. Okay, can I, I mean, that was quite a while ago, but is it still something you have as your inspiration that keeps you going now, those first things that got you into it? Well, you know, for me, um, when I was 17 and realised in 1969 that I was gay, and when I got the inspiration from the uh, gay liberation protests in New York later that year, um, I didn't have a reference point. You know, there were no LGBT groups in Melbourne. Um, So I took the black civil rights movement as my template for activism. I saw um, their ideas and methods as the way to do campaigning and activism. Um, You know, looking at the history of the black civil rights movement, I thought to myself, if black people are an oppressed minority and deserve equal rights, and they do, so do LGBT people as well. And I calculated on the studying the history of the Black Civil Rights Movement that it would probably take about 50 years for LGBT plus people to win legal equality in countries like the United States, Britain and Australia. That was in 1969. It was a guesstimate, but it, it proved almost, almost right. Now, um, if you think that's that, no, we'll actually warn you because this piece is very loud uh, as much as we've levelled it. Um, uh, it's very difficult to go to where we went to and it'd be quiet, wasn't it, Steph? It was. <laughs> it was, and there's lots of swear words uh, within it, yeah. Uh, please tell me you bleep them out. I'm not telling you anything. I might have done, I might not have done. Live on the edge, Andrew, live on the edge. Yes. What am I going to call you, Miss Beaver or Alan? Miss Beaver. Okay, Miss Beaver, because you're looking so gorgeous. Thank no, you. Thank what a you. lovely show. I know you have problems with the sound system, but it didn't detract from the entertainment. Uh, I hope not, I hope not. I think from reading the room, it, like I think everybody still had an amazing time. Like With a live show, you're going to get hiccups. Uh, those hiccups happen. We work through it, and everybody's been just so professional. It's been amazing. Yeah, and you've got some top names. Give us a rundown. So we've got uh, Drag Race Season 1 runner-up to Vina de Campo, Drag Race Season 2 contestant Tia Coffee, as well as acts from all across the country, including Chio, Romeo De La Cruz, Victoria Scone, um, and lots more, lots more. Donna Trump, me... The, the you, that's all that matters. Come on, Miss Beaver. Well, maybe, maybe. I think everybody's here for other people, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see. Well, I'm fingers crossed that part two has better um, with the sound system. I'm hoping so. Come back and interview me after part two. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Thanks. We'll, um, we're going to rush off now and see if we can catch some of the other queens and kings. Brilliant. They're just, yeah, they're backstage, but yeah, they'll okay. chat. They'll 
chat. They're always chatting. Hi, you two. So I'm going to ask you to introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Tia Coffee from RuPaul's Drag Race UK Season 2. Saison 2. Saison? That was a Saison 2. Saison 2. Bonsoir, je suis Tia Coffee de RuPaul's Drag Race UK Saison 2. Is it only French? Because I speak very little. Uh, uh, je peux essayer, comme tu veux. Oui. I'm out. <laughs> I don't even know any Welsh. Oh, wow. Amazing. I wasn't expecting that. So, we loved you guys tonight. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're at the back. We have a wave on the way in. Oh, yeah. It was an explosive performance. Um, Tia, speak to you first because, wow, it's slayed. <laughs> Those three. Thank you. The house down boots. Yes, they were, and legs for days. I loved your outfit. Oh, thank you so much. Incredible. I've swept through it now, so we'll have a different outfit for the okay. second half. Well, that's a good, yeah, it's good to have a backup, right? Yeah, I bought two just in case. <laughs> What's it been like since Drag Race finished and you know lockdown and coming back onto the stage? Oh, it's been absolutely amazing to get back onto the stage and actually to meet people and see a crowd because when we were watching the show, we were sort of watching it on our own at home. Yeah. So it was kind of like, are people actually watching this? Is it just me? This is just me and Taste texting. Oh, um, kidding, Taste, Taste doesn't text me. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's been absolutely gorgeous to get out there and meet people and like finally see that everyone really loved it. And I'm glad that we could bring a little bit of joy into everyone's living rooms during that difficult time. And you probably know this because I expect a lot of people have said it, but you have been so loved and you were just such, um, you brought such energy to Drag Race and you made me laugh. And I just thought you were just so incredibly genuine. Thank and you. I I just and I know people probably say these things in interviews. I absolutely love you so so. Do you, so do you think I'm Bimini? Is that why? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think you're bloody brilliant. So oh, I'm just so glad much. to see you on the stage tonight, and you just look like you're having so much fun. I was. I had the best time. Have you got more gigs lined up? Oh yeah. no, not one. That was it. That was oh, it. For, for 2021. Uh, yeah, no, so many gigs, lots of things happening. So keep an eye on all the social media. I will be back in Britain. Can you keep it down? We're trying to have a chat here, babe. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Carry on. You're doing your job. Uh, but yeah, lots and lots of things going up, and it's going to be absolutely gorgeous. I'm running away from responsibility. Oh, there's a whole bit of sexual information. This seems to be a lot of problem with audio. No, let's not. We shall we, we, we may be amateur, but we're a bit more professional, and I have the ability to edit that. It's just marvellous. So. Uh, anyway, because I'm not sure I do. <laughs> anyway, uh, backstage, uh, uh, well, my first event this year. Um, I don't know if it's your first event this year. So we're still, we're not quite out of that whole lockdown thing yet, but it must be lovely to be back up on the stage, sure. 100%, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been really, really lucky that in the first break, I did a few with, uh, you know, various different things outside, and then I did some drive and drag things, which were great fun. Um, but just, I mean, we've all been slogging this, haven't we? It's been slogging. So to get up, and they were such a fantastic crowd as well. So much fun. Yeah. But now, before I go any further, can I ask you for our audience, can you introduce yourself? Oh yes, sorry, sorry. I'm Davina DeCampo, the loser of Track Race 1. <laughs> Not a Couldn't mind, win herself a blooming tombola, <laughs> but I'm not worried. And, and I'm Donald Trump, the future winner of Bake Off. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how, how do you find the 
Absolutely. Have you performed for them before? Um, I have, um, not at Bristol Pride, but I have a couple of times. Um, and they're always an electric crowd. And today was just a prime example of how supportive Bristol's community is of performers. Like, you can feel the energy. Like, in the venue, it's electric. It is yeah. really electric. Yeah, I mean, they, they were up on the seats. And 100%. They were fantastic here. Really, really good. There's, I mean, I'm always worried when I'm performing in Liverpool, but they're always amazing. And Bristol is like that. Like, they are so great, so ready, and they want to party and have a great time. Do you think some of that's because also, because we've had lockdown and all, it's like, you know, chance to party and uh, come out. It must, must surely not only be nice for you, but nice to see them reacting so much better. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, football's coming home, and they're allowed to have 20,000 people in the stadium. So, yes. so <laughs> you know, the fact that we're allowed to put queer people on the stage and actually look at them, great. You, Love you, that you, for you us. The ball's hanging either side. <laughs> you know, just, you well, know, that's yeah. a, that's for the late show, I think. <laughs> we did we did do a penalty shootout halfway through, you know, just to make sure that we were COVID secure. <laughs> we shan't talk about that. <laughs> But I think it's I think it's really important that like I think I, I think Davina would agree as well, especially as queer people, when we see queer performance, we have that emotional connection with it straight away because it feels like you see someone that understands you. And because we've had kind of a lack of that like intimacy and seeing it in a place, I think it just kind of brings that kind of heartstring tug and it's just really lovely. Yeah. yeah. I, I did notice even when um Sonova Tutu was on stage and made a comment about being queer diverse and like and the audience just went mad yeah and that's I think that's one of the things about Bristol as well every time I've been here uh, you know like I don't always wear tracksuit bottoms and a hoodie <laughs> occasionally I wear things that are slightly more outlandish and I have never had any problems in Bristol ever nobody's ever you know a snarky comment or you know or you know the words yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. so nobody's ever done that to me in Bristol which I think is just one of the most amazing things about this. Shout out. LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Oh, lovely Mr. Bublé. In a winter wonderland. And, uh, we'll... Winter Wonderland. One does believe his name is Bubble. Bubble. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Michael Bubble. Bubble. <laughs> uh, gorgeous voice on him, is not he? Yes. Rather handsome too. So, gosh, and I've forgotten the drag stuff from the summer. It seems... <laughs> It's, it's been a weird year this year, hasn't it? But it was lovely to hear some of that again. I forgot how loud yes. it was as well. <laughs> well, Davina De Campo did did love oh, the a laugh. screams, yes, yeah. <laughs> laugh for the scream. Loved it. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, should we get some news headlines? Let's. Why not? In a, in a Christmassy style. Oh gosh. Okay. <coughs> This is Shout Out News on Thursday the 30th of December. The Bay Area Reporter and The Advocate have both published obituaries for the queer feminist writer and essayist Belle Hooks, who has passed on to the realm of our ancestors at the age of 69. Ms Hooks, who insisted on using all lowercase letters in her name, wrote about intersectionality long before many others, The Advocate noted in its obituary. 
Hooks argued that feminism is for everybody and was highly critical of privileged white feminists who looked down on black feminists and transgender people. She had no time for separatist forms of feminism, though outlined her manifesto in the classic text Ain't I a Woman, Black Woman and Feminism, which was published in 1981. Many groups active in the US LGBTQIA plus communities paid tribute to the impact of Miss Hook's writing. Berea College in Kentucky, which hosts the Bell Hook Center, said, We are deeply saddened about the death of Bell Hooks. Distinguished professor in residence in Appalachian Studies, prodigious author, public intellectual, and one of the country's foremost feminist scholars. Ms. Hooks was a member of the Kentucky Writers Hall of Fame, an honor bestowed three years ago. She was also featured as one of Times Magazine's most influential women of the year in 2020. Much of her work is still in print and you will find copies in independent and radical bookstores in the English-speaking world globally. And tributes have also been paid to a man who is at the forefront of HIV and AIDS prevention in gay African-American communities during the 1980s and who is a spiritual inspiration to many LGBTQIA people, particularly gay and bi men of colour. Charles Timothy Ashmore, known nearly universally by his activist and musical name Blackberry, was born in 1945. He was discharged from the American Navy in 1965 for being a gay man, and he became involved in the counterculture scene in the exciting New York of the 60s and 70s, playing blues-influenced music and for a while living in a feminist queer commune. A 1975 performance on San Francisco television channel KQED was the first time that television in the city had featured gay-themed music. Blackberry founded his own independent record label and his compositions were featured in the films Tongues Untied and Looking for Langston, which are both now considered legendary pieces of black gay cinema. Blackberry rose to the challenge of the AIDS pandemic in the 80s by becoming a death and bereavement counsellor for the Shanti Project, which was so important in healing and reconciliation for those who were dying of the syndrome at that time. A deeply spiritual man, Blackberry offered the LGBTQIA communities the teachings of Lukumi, a religion which descends from traditional African religious practices. Blackberry's passing to the realm of African queer ancestors was recorded by many LGBTQIA media across the United States. NQX magazine reports on an excellent new LGBTQI plus podcast on the block. The Vanity Project is the brainchild of hostess with the mostess, Vanity Von Glow. But it is anything but a Vanity Project in reality, championing serious issues facing our community, but in a convert conversational style. The very first guest on the podcast is Peter Tatchell, who is also a friend of ours here at Shoutout and has always championed LGBTQI plus inclusive media. Mr Tatchell discussed a wide range of topics including forgiving the older generation for the homophobia, how to win over radical feminists who do not like trans people and how to deal with the vocal number of anti-gay and anti-trans people who, whilst in dwindling minority, are still, in Mr Tatchell's words, out to get us. 
Talking about the podcast, Fancy Von Glow said, I am delighted to be able to spend an hour each week talking to some of my own personal heroes, very interesting people who have a lot to say. Listening to these great voices has been a pleasure and I invite you to go a little bit deeper with me during this series. And finally, congratulations are due to another podcast, Chicago-based Mark Felian and Fausto Fernos, whose LGBTQIA-themed podcast Feast of Fun has just marked up 3,000 episodes. The online cast is credited by Apple as, quote, helping to pave the way for bringing podcasting from an underground movement to a mainstream phenomenon. The podcast is mostly subscription-free, although some episodes are available just for those who donate. Well done to all those involved, because we always like to see queer media do well so for these news stories in further detail and much much more check out our website at shoutoutradio.lgbt for shoutout news this has been Terry Starr and Ezra Peregrine shoutout news national and international LGBT news for you Shout out. LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Ah, uh, you can't beat a bit of Cliff, can you? Yeah, wine. Misty Christmas. Misty Christmas. I'm very <laughs> upset Christmas. that I didn't have a 2022 uh, Cliff calendar, to be honest. <laughs> I'd like to see what his poses would be from January to December. <laughs> <laughs> you might have a bottle of wine with him. Probs. <laughs> There's a calendar for everything out there, apparently. Yeah, well, well, whatever your choice. We should do is. one for us, shouldn't we? We should do oh, a shout out calendar. Such fun. Such fun. So it's a lot. It's really weird being in the studio and you lot aren't here. <laughs> I know the listeners probably can't tell any difference, but it's very odd. <laughs> who's who's the weirdest person to not to not be in the studio, Andy, and on clean feed? Be careful what you say. Well, totally you, of course. <laughs> <laughs> knew it. <laughs> oh, so. I tried to stay humble there, but I knew it was coming. Anyway, um, carrying on, I'll look back at the year. What's in this part? Well, it always makes me feel quite humbled sometimes here on Shout Out when I interview people because there's such a breadth of talent in the LGBTQIA uh, plus community. And our next guest is no exception, Elegance Bratton, who's uh, just released uh, Peer Kids. Thanks for having me. Really you're, happy to be here. Yeah, you're very welcome. Now, you started filming the, the film um quite a while ago didn't you was it 10 years or more you started uh, the filming oh my god it was 11 years ago now. <laughs> oh wow <laughs> yeah it was a long time ago <laughs> yeah was that so you could get build a history to your characters yeah i wanted to um you know very early in the filming i was challenged by one of the main participants her name is crystal labasia and she told me that in order to tell her story, I had to be her friend. And she felt like 
the way I was making the movie, like I was under some sort of like deadline pressure to have her sum herself up and it didn't make her feel comfortable. It made her feel like, you know, she was something to be studied and not a real person. So once she said that to me, like, you know, you've got to be my friend to tell my story. You've got to be on my side. I realized that I had to approach the film this way with everyone that, and friendship takes time. It takes time to understand how people are the way they are, why they do the things they do. So yeah, I wanted to initially wanted that time. And I also did this film while I was an undergrad in college. So I was, you know, spending my first part of the week in classes at Columbia University. And then the second part of my week, I was on the pier with these, these young people just kind of living however they lived and, and having the camera be there with them. And, um, it just meant it would take a little, a long time. And that was like the first five or six years, you know, I raised all this money on Kickstarter and I thought, you know, I would meet the industry would meet me halfway and be like, Oh wow, this guy raised all this money and he's got all these, you know, social media followers and people are really interested in this film. And, you know, let's just give him the rest he needs to finish and we'll have a huge release and everything will be great. And that didn't happen. It actually had to go to master's college at NYU grad film to actually learn how to edit this movie myself because no one was really willing to help me. Um, and then I had to also, you know, so now I have a whole nother degree I'm earning. So when it all came down to it, you know, it was a mixture between wanting to have the time to understand these characters, but also the realities of making a black queer, you know, documentary in, in the climate of, you know, pre-pose, pre-my house, um, you know, in a world within which, you know, I, I walked into so many really prominent offices and was told that, like, nobody wants to see a movie about poor black trans women. This whole village is another world inside a world. Homeless youth come to this area because this is what we know as safe zone. This is where we socialize, we make some mangoes. By the summer, I'm definitely going to be in house. I can feel that. The police make it seem like they're going to stop prostitutes and they're homeless, so they, you know, they turn into this lifestyle. Officer, you want to search me? They just don't like it. Ma, all I'm asking you to do is just see me. That's it. I don't know her as Krista. This is my nephew. What's wrong with taking this lifestyle, setting it outside your mother's door? I'm tired of doing it. What would I have done? folks in America have spent our entire history within this country dealing with white supremacy and oppression and, and, and white supremacy meaning a legal systemic economic apparatus that is meant to delimit and predetermine negative life outcomes for black people and really non-white people as a whole. So when you're up against a, a formidable legal system and you're up against a formidable economic, you know, capitalist system that is just kind of, you know, spitting people out and making them obsolete. Where else do you turn but to God? Because, you know, people have, you know, the people who are in power have, you know, expressed an, a, 
total disinterest in empowering you. So you have to go to a higher power. You have to go above them. And I think in the process of going to God to solve our the issues of white supremacy, very often people are, their guard is down and they're more vulnerable and they don't even realize that the religion that they're consuming as a way to find power within themselves and find faith within themselves is also something that has been concocted by a system, an oppressive system to keep them in their place. And unfortunately, you know, black and brown and, you know, LGBT youth as a whole are kind of left in the undertow. You know, there are 2 million homeless kids in America. And of that 2 million, 40 to 60% of them are LGBTQ youth. And of them, 40 to 60% of them are of color. So, you know, this issue of, 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 one of the reasons I made Peer Kids is to help working class people all over the world do a better job of understanding their queer kids because I feel like I feel like the modern LGBTQ rights movement has left working class people of color behind and has created an argument that requires one to be almost white and middle class to be able to have the kind of economic and systemic space to tolerate difference. We have to understand too, we're in a system where heterosexuality pays. Having kids, getting married, tax breaks, um, you know, all sorts of these things are kind of geared towards the heterosexual in reproduction. And as a result, gay people are kind of left out in the woods, you know? So there's, there's a lot of things informing this religious pressure beyond just people's, uh, faith relationships with God, you know, there are societal systemic uh, benefits to being straight that I think are also in conversation with the religious pressure to exclude and oppress queer people. I don't think blacks are any more predetermined to be homophobic or transphobic than anyone else. I do think that um, black folks and particularly people of color, you know, like when we, when we, I don't know how the gay marriage movement really situated itself in the UK, but in the United States, you know, the images that were propagated were of, you know, white men, very high earning, very high educated, you know, it, I always call it the Jane Goodall approach, you know, like, yes. so like us, yeah, yeah, you know, like yeah. you're, we're just like straight people. We get married, we have babies and we're white, just like, and <laughs> yep. you know what I'm saying? And, and, in the, and in the meantime, what that does is it ignores the work that needs to be done to actually teach black households how to understand their queer kids and that's why i made peer kids so i don't believe that black people are any more likely to be homophobic than whites but i do believe that the increased kind of consequence of homophobia is just another result of the criminal civic neglect that black people have experienced in you know the united states but in the western hemisphere overall has uh, been interviewing uh, James Bell and Leo LeBeau about their new film, Birthday Boy. I see that you interviewed 20 trans boys. How did you pick the star of the film out of 20? Oh, it was very, very difficult. Um, We were so delighted to have so much talent um, wanting to be part of our film. Um, we actually did uh, two rounds, so um, we did an open audition, and um, 
we did a casting call on social media. We went to um, places all around London, different kind of schools and also different kind of um, uh, LGBT centres. And um, once we got the call, we were just so amazed. Like we knew that we wouldn't be able to do that in like one session. So um, we kind of narrowed it down, I think, to about um, five, I think it was. Um, so we've just been um, selected for something called the Iris Prize, which is a BAFTA A-list qualifying festival um, taking place in Cardiff this October. And we've also been selected for another BAFTA qualifying festival called the Norwich Film Festival. It centres around um, a 16-year-old um, trans boy. It's their birthday. And um, they go to an all-girls school. Um, they're part of a scholarship for their musician. During that time at the school, they decided to transition. Even though it's a story about a trans boy, um, it really centres around bullying. It doesn't really focus that much on their transition. Hey, morning, birthday boy. I made you fruit flan for your birthday. Dairy, gluten and sugar-free. <laughs> Sweetheart, have you taped your chest up? It's a school day. Mum, it's fine. Really. Their family kind of accept them, but there's a whole kind of weight on their shoulders about they come from a low low income background. They kind of the family want them to they've gotten to a really great school, so they want them to do really well. So that they're kind of having to hide themselves in the school. And during all of this, they're facing the the trauma that a lot of people probably can relate to in school, such as bullying. So they're having to um, go through that, and they're having to deal with this kind of isolation that they face of really not being able to be themselves. And um, it's online where they can really find their community and they, they play online games. And there's this one person that they um, chat to regularly and they've kind of found a kind of connection with them. And um, it, the film is kind of based around their the day in their life on their birthday. Some aspects of the story were inspired by someone quite close to me. Um, but then we also put in this um, kind of some stuff from our own experience in schools as well, growing up and bullying. And one of the main themes in this film is about the kind of positive side of the internet, how you can find community, how you can find friendship. And I think that's something that a lot of queer people um, can relate to growing up when you feel quite isolated. Yeah, absolutely. James, Leo, we've run out of time, but we do need you to tell us um, where people can actually watch the film and how they can keep in touch on social media. So you can follow us at BDayBoyFilm um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, our official website is birthdayboyfilm.com and um, you'll be able to watch Birthday Boy in the Iris Prize in October, Norwich Film Festival in November and also from November you'll be able to watch it on Channel 4 OD, um, so for on demand. Oh, excellent. Look forward yeah. to that. James Bell, Leo LeBeau, thank you so much for your time and good luck with that award. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. So great to speak with you again, Stephanie. Yes, very great.
shout out. LGBT Radio for you. So there you go. Nice look back at uh, a few of the things that, that uh, went on throughout lovely. the year. It was lovely. Yeah, well, that's the memories. But I have uh, another memory, which is breaking news today, actually. Oh. Uh, Bang Showbiz says that the Radio Times prestigious award for the best TV show of the year has gone to It's a Sin. Oh, amazing. Wow. by Channel How 4. wonderful. Which was a <laughs> Channel 4 drama looking at the group of friends in London during the... Uh, Terrible years of the early HIV and AIDS pandemic, starring Ollie Alexander, Lydia West, Omari Douglas, Nathaniel Curtis, Callum Scott Howells, and Keely Halls. So that's a great. Now, Ollie, uh, has, Ollie Alexander great... was one that was picked as a potential to be Doctor Who, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. he well, was, we've I... now been—it's now been revealed that this is another female. Oh, has it? Oh, I'm missing the news. Oh my gosh! Ninety <laughs> percent sure, and um, I'm they so sorry, have they said listeners. Who? I've forgotten the name. <laughs> yes, they have. Oh, right, I'm just okay. going to do uh, a quick Google. Have a Google. This is all unofficial yet before the BBC officially announces it, though. Isn't well, it? when do they announce it then? Do we know? Well, they, Lydia they West, have a special got there. Lydia West. <laughs> Lydia West, yeah. who was in uh, It's a Sin. Yes. I think she'd make an excellent doctor, but Me we'll too. have to wait and see what the uh, oh, BBC says. Oh, she played the friend. Yes, she did. Yes, she was the friend of Ollie Alexander's character. Oh, how marvellous. Yes. Oh, yes, I think she'd make a very good doctor. Me too, yeah. me too. Um, I think it's interesting, isn't it, you know, when we think about um, what was happening uh, prior to a female being cast um, and now the development and, and the realisation that actually <laughs> this is wonderful. You know, it should not be problematic. Um People need to accept that any gender could be a doctor. We well, all have yeah, two I mean, hearts in the Bear, bear in mind that the doctor is not technically a human. So yes, there is that. Is mm. She yeah. is not. Yes. Yeah. Because well, <laughs> uh, we, we had that with um, um, oh, in, in the uh, spin-off series, um, and the captain dated like aliens, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, John Barrowman's character. I love that, yes. John. Yeah. Wonderful series, absolutely adored that series. And I know this is a bit, uh, I've forgotten the word, but <laughs> um, whatever it is, I actually prefer Torchwood to Doctor Who, though I've said it. Do you know, I really enjoyed it, Torchwood. It was a real shame was, they blew it up and stopped it, but he didn't want to do any more, <laughs> did he? No, no. But never say never, because no. Russell T. Davis is going back yes. to Doctor Who to yes. sort of oversee it again. So, yeah, 20 I think he years starts, after he resurrected it. So. Starts this coming year, doesn't he? I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, I believe we've got three specials to go with right. uh, with Jodie Whittaker to mark the 100th anniversary of the BBC, which takes place this coming year. Oh gosh! And then, so lots of celebrations on the BBC then. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then and then we'll have the regeneration into the new Doctor. Mm. But of course, our home station of BCFM will be 15 years old in March. Wow! So, uh, oh, wow. We'll gosh. look forward to that as well. Yeah. Oh, how time flies. Uh, yes. Uh, anyway, that's it for this week. But as always, there's loads more stuff up on our website, which will keep packed, jam full of things. So Check it out and catch up with our podcast at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Uh, next week, believe it or not, we're wrestling. It's going to be interesting. So uh, join, join us from that, from myself, from Terry, from Andy, and from Steph, and from the lovely Ezra. Say bye-bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.